The AFL departs Victoria just before the state is put back into lockdown. Heartbreak for all footy fans with star, rising star favourite Matty Rao going in for shoulder surgery. And then the disappointment of Melbourne continues into another year. All that and a whole lot more here on the Under Pressure podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, he's Jake Barker, and we're going to look at a great weekend in sport. Hey, Jake, how's it going? Very good, Matt. Well well done there. That was a, that was a long and arduous intro, but that sounds pretty good. I hope uh, all the listeners enjoyed that. Yeah, no, everything's yeah, been Jake, good. I just want to remain the centre of attention, so I extend my intros a little bit more each week. Yeah, that's that, that's fair enough. It'll be the whole podcast soon, so we'll, we'll roll with it until then. It'll be, I want to change it to the Under Pressure presented by Matt Ellis with Jake Barker. Okay, I understand that. So, big weekend in sport. I'm going to start off with probably the most positive news of all, which was seeing Gary Ablett and Joel Selwood going off the ground as champions in their milestones games. I didn't tell you this in the rundown meeting, but as a Geelong supporter, how did that feel for you? I mean, obviously, it's... uh... Obviously, a bit different these days. No, no one in the no one in the crowd to to cheer off the cheer off the guys. Obviously, no carrying the players off either. And it's it, it is a bit sad in a way, but also really good that they've managed to get to these milestones and and become such greats of greats of the game. And I, I think in in due time, that they will have got plenty of messages that would have given them heaps of support. And I think. Even though there was no one there, it, it's still wonderful that they've been able to play for so long. And yeah, disappointing that no one was there to uh, see Big Gaz's goal from 55 metres out in the last quarter with two minutes to go. That roar would have been insane. So, I mean, he didn't have, he didn't have the greatest game, but he, he did his part and did did what he's been brought back to do. And that goal was, I think, without doubt, probably the most magical moment from the entire weekend. But since then, the entire competition has departed Victoria for hubs in Queensland, New South Wales, and eventually Western Australia. They got out in the nick of time. There was also a quick flight on a private jet with uh, Tom Lynch after his uh, hand surgery, which we'll come back to a little bit later. What do you think about the new COVID situation in Victoria? Are you starting to think that a few players could return from their hubs to be with family at this time? Well, I, I think they might, only depending on the situation. I think there are a lot of young, very there are a lot of very young players in the game, and and they'll be happy to do what's best for the team and be over there. And but your older statesmen and those guys who have families and things like that, you you'd forgive them to to go home for a couple of weeks in the, in the middle of all this. And then they'd, but now they really they'd can't. Have to, yeah, it's, it's, it's put the all players in a very, and, and in fact umpires, in a very difficult position where it's almost a time now where you almost need to be with your family at home. Do you think it, that there could be a legitimate case to say, let's put the season back on hold, given that the majority of teams are from Victoria and the situation in Victoria is is um, getting 
to very concerning levels, knowing that that could mean the competition doesn't start for nine weeks given restrictions and there would need to be a three-week training period before um, the league starting again. Do you think that's a legitimate thing that the Players Association could ask the AFL? Uh, it's it's definitely always an option. Like it's that that'd be for the absolute ultimatum. I reckon if teams have played as much as they can over in the hubs and have been there for a long time, eventually it might, might have to happen. But I don't think it will happen in the near future. I think we will get a few more rounds out. I reckon there'll be plenty of rounds go go ahead. But when it gets to the time that we need to head back to Melbourne and if it's still not possible to have have these games going on in Melbourne, then that's where we sort of hit a bit of a hit a bit of a crossroads, I think. And it'll be interesting to see yes. what they do. There's the suggestion that this is where we pull the trigger and do five games and thirty two games, adding sort of an extra round in this period with some midweek football, just to even out the competition. So if they do come back to Melbourne just for a couple of days and then have to quarantine after, you've got to you've got to week up your sleeve because um, there has been the ultimatum saying you will come back. We will come back after thirty two days. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I really don't know how they're going to do that now with the, with it actually being for six weeks. So yeah, it it's going to be interesting when that that time comes. What the AFL and all the teams decide to do. They've been really good so far, so maybe they will understand if they need to stay an extra 10, 14 days in their hub or wherever they are at the current time. And I also think that the players could also look at it. They've, they've given so much already. They're on less money and they're now away from their families in a time where since they left 24 hours ago, the whole state of Victoria has changed. How much more can we get these players to do for a lot less money that they're being paid? Yeah, see, I, I see it a little bit differently, only because you've got to look at, at, at the, the, broader, the broader scene that every year the AFL does so much for these players. The AFL is just asking the players to give back a little bit this season. And if that's, yeah, going, no, I, if that's going to hubs and things like that, I think... I think they just, it sounds, it sounds rude, but I think they just need to suck it up for a little bit and this is the season that it'll happen and then we'll have to worry about something else for the, the seasons to come. But how many more challenges do these players need to get before it all gets too much? Do you think we're getting to that point where a little bit more might become too much? Fractionally, I think. It's, it, is dif- it is difficult because half or the majority, half the league is basically from Victoria. The NRL don't have these problems, obviously, because they've only got the one team in Melbourne. And they did... I should, I should credit the Melbourne Storm, actually. They moved to Brisbane a couple of weeks ago. And I, they saw this coming and they moved away and they're going to the be based with, in um, Brisbane. And it's the same in the NRL with the uh, uh, New Zealand Warriors, where playing games in uh, New Zealand is not a possibility. So really good accommodating. The other thing that could be possible in just a few weeks' time and probably in the next batch of games is for the Essendon-Richmond which game, which is traditionally the dream time at the G game, could be the dream time game in the Northern Territory. 
been a live option. And I think that would be a really positive, uplifting moment that all footy fans can get behind and support. I think that's a wonderful thing that's coming up. But we don't know if that'll happen. As I said in my intro, or monologue as I may want to start calling it. Yeah, I think you're going to have um, to. Here's Matty Rao uh, going down with the shoulder injury, which is heartbreaking because he's, to be honest, I think 99% of people in the world had him as their, their rising star this year. And now we'll only have played four games in the year. Jake, do you think he could still win it despite only playing four games? Uh, no, plain and simple. Not enough as a sample. I know, I know the sample size that we've gotten is really good, but th- but three games or four, te- four really isn't enough. With with the voters that five. do the rising star, with the voters that do the rising star, it's a five, four, three, two, one. So, I don't believe he's. From from five games, sorry, yeah, you're right. I don't think from five games they can honestly say that they can give the five to Matty Rao for his five games of the year when you've got other guys playing the full season. I know this season's a bit different as there's only 17 games, but I feel like they would give it to the players that are that have been playing all year in their first season, having a good year. And it's it's funny that it's funny that the, it's happened this way, but. But Noah Anderson can end up winning this now. <laughs> and they could both end up winning a rising star. So if Matty Rell yeah. came back next year, he could win the rising star and they both won one. So just thought I'd also put it out there. He's the first player since Josh Kennedy in 2012 or 2013 to get 10 coaches' votes in three consecutive games. That's unheard of, and he's a first year player. That's a pretty good start to his five games. Surely that. In my, in my mind, I think he, he's still very much in the uh, calculations. Yeah, very well, much I'm, not, I'm not saying very, he's... Very. He's got more coaches association votes than both um, of um, Jaden Stevenson and who won it last year. I've just had a huge name, Blake, and this is really embarrassing. Sam Walsh has had more coaches association votes in five games than those players had in their whole seasons. And that's, they're the hardest vote to get. They're just as valuable as Brownlow votes, given how they're graded by the footy-going public. It's, it's, it's a pretty good record to have. I think he can still win it. That being said, he is eligible to win it next year, given that he's played less than 10 games and will be under 20 years old. But to be honest, I, I, I still, I'd still give it to him this year. So, and I know I'm saying that without seeing what other players can dish up, but I don't think any player can dish up what he has this year. I, 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 I'm not saying that he's not going to get votes. As, as it is a 5-4-3-2-1, it's, it is very likely that he'll get twos, possibly threes, through this year. But you've got... There's too many guys that are going to play the bulk of this season that I feel like you can't you can't really justify giving it to giving it to someone who's played four games, five games. Yeah. Technically, he didn't play on the weekend, so let's. 
So yeah, there's there's plenty yeah. of guys like Noah Anderson. Like he's he's played he's played every game this year. I know Luke Jackson's played a few games in Melbourne. Looked okay. Big clunking mark. Like you got guys that if you give them a bit of time, that I think they might be able to come through and and actually play all right and win it. So. So just going back to Matty Rowe, apart from Gaza's goal, the other moment in that game that I loved was both with Joel Selwood and Gary Ablett talking to him after the game, just making sure that he was okay. Gary Ablett said to him, give me a call later in the week once you know what's wrong with your shoulder and I can mentor you through it and give you some tips of what I had when I had my shoulder injury. It's actually quite symbolic that it's a shoulder injury again to their star player like it was with Gary Ablett all those years ago it'll, it'll be interesting to see We I hope that the wheels don't fall off this season with Gold Coast because they've been probably the best team to watch in the competition so far this year Yeah they really have they've been they've been fantastic to watch I always I've been looking to see when they've been playing lately so but I feel like they've got a lot of they've got a lot more good that sounds really bad they've got a lot a lot of better a lot more better players now and I feel that with the loss of one pick, won't won't be the end of it. You've got a developing Lacocious, you've got King in the forward line, you've got Anderson in the middle and on the wing, and you've got so many players there that I don't think Matt Rowell's going to be... He is a huge loss, but with this growing team and the veterans they've got in Brendan Ellis and Hugh Greenwood, who have been massive in his development as well, I think they're going to be they're going to be fine. Where whereas with Gary, I don't think there was they'd only just sort of begun and they hadn't really developed too much. This way, they've they've got a nice good system with Stuart Jew at the moment, and he's coaching them really well. And I I, I reckon they'll be I reckon they'll be all right. And we go from one of the best teams in the competition to watch to unfortunately in my eyes. One of the worst sides to watch in Melbourne. The Melbourne-Richmond game, I watched it. And I, as, a, as a supporter, I, I've just got to the point where I don't know how many more times I can take this club that I love so much to stab me in the heart and to twist with my emotions. It, it, it's getting to the point where it's, it's like a huge, horrible disaster movie where every moment you get a, another knife into the to the chest, and it's just like um, it's like that Simpsons moment where they the guy same way. Like, I can't remember what, but it's you keep stabbing it. It's like no, he's already dead. It's it's almost that as a supporter with Melbourne. I'm at that moment where it's 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 so painful to watch that I just don't know how much more me and other Melbourne supporters can take. That being said, I'm now going to take off my supporter hat and look at it as a neutral observer. And the bit that irritates me most of all, Jake, is the same problems we had last year have continued into this year. Which makes me think, yes, there's definitely issues with our players on the ground, but it's also a coaching issue. 
um, that, I'm, and I don't mean to whack Simon Goodwin while he's down, but in 2018, in our good year, there were moments in that gap in the season where things weren't working and we didn't change. Then last year, throughout the entire year, things weren't working and we continued with the course. And then this year again, things aren't working and we're not fixing it. Where was the the move of, oh, we're not getting a target up forward, so why don't we move um, Joel Smith, who was playing a horrible game on Jack Rerock up forward? We kicked a few goals, quite a few goals in the preseason. Why don't we move him up forward and him create a target and maybe send Tom McDonald down on Jack Rerock or switch something up? Where was the switch where we change things up to see if it could create other opportunities, Jake? Yeah, it's it's obviously a very tough tough situation that that you got that Melbourne find themselves in. Obviously, it's been well documented this week that it's that's five wins out of the last twenty six, and that's not what you want to hear as a Melbourne supporter. It might not it might not feel like it's five and twenty six, but if you go over the two years, it feels like it's that's it, what it feels it is. like it's not in twenty six at the moment. Yeah, I, well, I think you're a bit of an over exaggerated Melbourne supporter. Oh. Uh, personally, I <laughs> personally, I, 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 I can't. The Carlton win, which was only a month ago, feels like it was five years ago. Yeah, and that wasn't a great finish to that game either, really. But I, I think you just—I know it's hard, but he, 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 Goodwin does have to make some changes. Obviously, he's been trying with with making a couple of statements in dropping the likes of Nathan Jones and Neville Jetta, that didn't work. So now you bring him in and then you try and change something else. That was a ploy to, to try and mix something up. I think, I personally think that that he was trying to change something that obviously didn't work. I don't know what that plan was, but I think now that you're lack, you're lacking in the forward line and you you have two guys sitting, sitting, not playing in Sam Wiedemann and Mitch Brown. You have to play at least one of them this weekend on the Gold Coast. And I would, I yeah, would play, but I would play both personally I, I, because then one of them can well. get one of them can get off the chain. Sam Collins down there at the Gold Coast, very good fullback, so we might tie up one of them. But if you have two down there, one of them can get off off the chain and kick a few goals, and that's what you need. You need a target. And if I, if you if if we do play one, I think it has to be Sam Wiedemann. Purely because a few years ago we traded Jesse Hogan on the premise that Sam Wiedemann was our next big thing. He's, in my eyes, earned the opportunity. He's played really well in the scratch matches and kicked bags of goals in in several games so far. I'd also personally bring in Harley Bernal. If he's got stuff to work on, he can work on those skills playing for Melbourne because there are players in, in, in the Melbourne team right now that do not deserve a spot. And he got something like 35 disposals in the uh, scratch match against uh, the Richmond Twos. I think it was a couple of goals and several goal assists. He's hidden a target in in the Ford 50, which no Melbourne player did on the weekend. Correct. I mean, and if he's impressing like that, then then by all means bring bring in a guy like that. But you got to be careful with him because he is gonna he is gonna play limited game time still, and you can't afford yeah, that. I- yeah, I to be honest, if if he, if he's getting the numbers 
than he did then, I'd claim, given that um, some of our players, some of our senior top-tier talent are playing deplorable. I, I, I'd, I'd agree with what Nick Rewalt said the other night on, um, on the couch. He, he was harsh, but very fair. He um, acknowledged that uh, Clayton Oliver was an elite player in 2018 and that he's not that now. And if anything, he's a liability at the moment with his kicking. That's not yeah. something you want to say about your number one midfielder. No, and and I think he I think he is. He he hasn't he hasn't quite taken that next step. There is another step for him. Just like he's just the like eighth, he's the eighth worst kick in the AFL at the moment. Yeah, he needs to take the next step. Just like Lockie Neal did a few years ago, took the next step, and now he's an elite midfielder. Um, the other thing that was really good on on the couch was Gary Lyon identified a number of examples of where the Melbourne players are very much, he described it as red mist. They're too quick in trying to get rid of the ball, whether it's handballs or kicks. Typically with Melbourne, if they handball it when they're under pressure, they're normally handballing it to someone who's under just as much pressure or more pressure than the player that had it. And then their kicks, they're not kicking to one-on-ones. They're not kicking to players that are on their own. They're not. They're going too quick for what their skill level currently is at. Yeah, they need to slow it. They need to slow it down, and actually look around. Don't just kick it long and hope for the best. Yeah, that's not working for you at the moment. You need. Yeah, you need to slow your play down. And and whether that's to play boring football, you're going to have to if you want to get some wins. Yeah, and to be honest, I think Melbourne are out of finals contention. Um. And I'm I'm going to be brutally honest. Um, Richmond are almost. I'm not going to say Richmond are out of it just yet because you you never say that about the champion side so early in the season. But another loss or two, I think Richmond are out of it. Uh, they would have lost to fourteen other sides in the competition on on Sunday. Melbourne played shocking. Yeah, no, Richmond I played. Sho- Richmond played bad, but not as bad. Fourteen other sides in the competition would have beaten them on the weekend. Yeah, no, I do. I do agree that Richmond weren't at their best, and I've heard a lot of people say that Richmond, Richmond are back. Richmond are back, but they're not back just yet. They've got to win. They've got to win on the board. That's good for them. I don't know if I'd go ruling them out of uh, finals or anything I'm like not that. Yet, they, no, they, as they I are. Said, I'm not. As I said, I'm not ruling them out yet, but they're getting very close. Yeah. When you put it this way, there's four points between 15th and third. So yeah. no one's out of it yet. Except Adelaide and probably Melbourne. <laughs> yes, and Fremantle. Yeah, Fremantle. Oh, yeah. I've got faith in Fremantle at the moment. Yeah, they've been playing um, pretty pretty well lately. They've been unlucky not to win a games, and Richmond's injury list is starting to become a very real concern. Moving from Melbourne and the negative aspect of footy at the moment, let's look at the more positive. And two teams that really impressed me over the weekend, just for the way they played, um, for the energy that they brought. 
were actually both Essendon and St Kilda. I thought both teams played well. They showed great intent. St Kilda are doing what um, the Melbourne recruiting staff did and recruit on a needs basis. And all their recruits are showing their talent and a whole lot more each game. Uh, Bradley Hill, faultless. Zach Jones, although even though he didn't play on the weekend, has, has played really well this season. Um, who else did St Kilda recruit? Um, got all these name blanks. But everything that St Kilda have added to their list in the last trade period has been gold. They're starting to look like a side that could actually play finals and threaten in finals games. And Essendon, the changes in their game plan, which we all knew when they got the uh, game plan mastermind in uh, Blake Carachella? Carousella. Carousella. Yeah. Long day. Those changes that they've made in the game plan make Essendon look unstoppable at times at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I would completely agree. Essendon had a, had a brilliant win on the weekend and they, they looked really, really good. So I could definitely agree definitely agree with that one. And, and as well as St Kilda, definitely with all the recruiting that they've done. They've, all the, as you said, all their recruits have been on the positive side, maybe a bit iffy with Paddy Ryder at the moment, obviously because he's not playing. But Rowan Marshall's doing a fantastic job in the ruck there. So he'll be, a, he'll be their ruckman for many years to come. Uh, in terms of yes. in terms of someone who's in the team that's impressed me over the last over the last couple of weeks, um, is actually the Giants. I know that seems it seems that seems pretty silly, but since coming back, their first two games were terrible. They they were they were woeful against uh, both the Dogs and the Roos. Both at one was at Giant Stadium and one was at uh, Marvel. I keep forgetting that name. But since that point in time, they've beaten they've beaten Collingwood, and they've beaten Hawthorne, who are coming off two pretty solid wins. So to me, that says they're playing some really good footy, and I, and I think I think they're a huge chance to to sneak up into the top four this season. And I re- they're not a roughie, but they'll go deep into the season this year and. The way that they've been playing, not too many injuries. Good news out of the camp is that Taranto will be back this week. So that's another fantastic in. And they're only getting stronger with the likes of um, Nick Haynes down in the back line, looking dominant. Probably one of the best, if not the best, intercept marker now has gone down with that injury. Uh, Perryman's been a bit of a revelation in the middle and in the forward line. And they've got that three-pronged forward attack with Finlayson, Cameron and Himmelberg, who kicked 10 goals between them last weekend against the Hawks. So, against a pretty, and gets some pretty good, pretty good defenders as well. So, I reckon they're looking, looking the goods for the rest of the season and, and onwards. Yes, and I couldn't agree with you more. Just before we finish on footy for this podcast before we're going into NRL and F1. Jake wanted to bring a few points about the other side that's doing just a little bit worse than Melbourne, the Adelaide Crows. 
Yeah, so I just just wanted to go over, just wanted to have a chat about where the crows are really at at the moment. And I think we all know that they're struggling. We all know that they're 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 going to finish last. Albeit, I know Matt thinks that Melbourne will probably finish last now, but they're going to finish last. Where are they at the moment? They they don't have a lot of drive. Matthew Nix is is trying to get them up. They had the game on the weekend. It was a huge chance for them to get a win. The Dockers were also searching for a win, but they weren't able to come away with the chocolates. And it's just really disappointing to see this team go from so wet, so good to where they are now. And I think it's in the forward line. They're struggling to kick goals. Since the return, they've, they've, they kick five goals against Port Adelaide in the 75-point defeat. They kick four goals against the Suns in the 53-point defeat. They only kick seven against Brisbane Lions in the 37-point defeat. And they still only kick four again against Freo on the weekend. There's, there's nothing going on in that forward line. They need to mix something up. And I don't know what that is. I don't believe... Darcy Fogarty played on the weekend. I might be wrong there, but he's missed a game or two, maybe just last week. But they need they need some forward line structure, and they and they need some new players down there ASAP. And I think that's what they've got to do this off this off season. They've got to find some some mid size mid size forwards and and maybe look to to get a a forward and lure them to uh, lure them to Adelaide because Tex is only getting older. Fogarty's not quite there yet. Just a little bit too young and they're, they're struggling in all, in, in all areas but mostly kicking goals is, is their main issue at the moment. And it doesn't come any easier with the uh, facing the Eagles after a, after a good win from them on the weekend. So it's uh, I don't believe they're going to get their their first win for quite a number of weeks. So we'll soon find out. Now, you briefly spoke about it last week, but you were very excited about the Melbourne Storm Sydney Roosters game. Oh, you did a you've got a bit of a special report through here. Oh no! When I was watching this game, I thought I had to had to bring this up on the on the pod this week. Obviously, the Storm playing all their, their home games over in Brisbane at the moment. They played it at Suncorp Stadium against the Roosters. Now, these two teams have had quite a rivalry over the last three or so years. They've, they've won the last three flags, I believe, between the three of them, with the Roosters obviously going back-to-back the last two years and the Storm winning before that. So they're two quality outfits. And the game on... Thursday night for to start the round was absolutely phenomenal. Funnily enough, it was a few few errors that uh, gave Kyle Flanagan the uh, halfback the first try, and we'll get more into him a bit later. So he converted that first try, then uh, the Storm through Josh Adokar uh, got a, a turnover from the Roosters, and he went down the other end and scored for Melbourne. It was a very back and back and forth game, and then Josh Morris, one of the Morris twins, scored just before the half. So that gave the Storm, sorry, that gave the Roosters a 12-6 twelve, twelve, 
uh, lead at half time. Then again, off another another turnover, the Melbourne Storm halfback Jerome Hughes scored very quickly after half time. Cameron Smith obviously doing the kicking duties was on fire again tonight, and don't believe he missed for the entire night. So that was that was really good in terms of the outcome of the game in the end. Again, uh, again, Morris, another Morris twin scored in the corner, and then 15 minutes later, the other one scored in the other corner. And the Storm were looking like they were in trouble. Down down 22 to 12 with 12 minutes left in the game. Uh, Storm got very lucky later in the game with, uh, I believe there was a knock on late, late, in, late in the game and the Storm ended up with the ball, ended up out on the right wing and uh, they went over in the 73rd minute. So that, that brought the score to to 18, to, to 24, 22, 18, I should say. And then a couple of minutes later, they ended up getting through, busting through a couple of players to score another one right in the corner, which led to a Cameron Smith kick in, was the 75th minute to put the storm in front. And believe it or not, knocked it down, storm up 24 to 22. With five minutes to go, you think, all right, bit of defence and we're good to go. Roosters were coming forward. Roosters kick off. The ball ends up back in their hands somehow. They move it forward, move it forward. They put up a kick, as you do at the end of a, end of your six tackles. And the ball bounced, bounced right back up in the air. And for some reason, Vunavalu, the storm winger, ended up tackling a player who hadn't taken possession of the ball and for those who don't know in NRL that's that's a penalty and their their halfback Kyle Flanagan went all right I'm going to put this in and we'll go to extra we'll go to extra time but in saying this there was uh two minutes left when he took this kick and there's still more to come he ended up kicking that from about 35 meters out on right on the angle and tied up the score he was pumped you don't really usually see players react like that after a penalty goal, but to tie this game up was insane. Then, obviously, because the Roosters have scored the, the Storm kickoff, they kick off as normal. Roosters bring the ball way down the field, way down the field, way down the field. There was a bit of an offload. They got further out. They got about 20 metres to their line on their last tackle. What usually happens here, field goal range, they threw it back and straight into the hands of Luke Keary and from about 35 kicked what I thought was a bit of a mongrel and went straight through the middle. If you look, if you look at the drop that he, that he did, it was, it was awful. But somehow, some way it went through and they kicked a goal, field goal with about 30 seconds left on the clock. So Storm again have to do the kickoff. They went with the short kickoff and... It was it was phenomenal. They the the winger for the Roosters ended up dropping the ball, knocking it forward, and ended up in the hands of Jerome Hughes. They worked the ball forward, worked the ball forward. There was two tackles. Cameron, they were about twenty five minutes out. Cameron Smith threw the ball out, not to the man that they thought they the all the Roosters thought that the ball was going to go to Jerome Hughes, a known field goal kicker, but it actually went to the fullback. Ryan Pappenhausen, who had never kicked a field goal in his career 
up until this point, and he slotted it with two seconds left on the clock. Full, at full time, it was 25 all. And at that point, that, that was the game was already crazy enough. Now we have to go into golden point. It was crazy. So in, in, the, in the NRL, they do five minutes each way. For those of you who don't know, and if in then if at the end it is still tied, then it is a draw. So they give the, the teams a chance to score in those in those both five minutes each way. So it's pretty simple. Roosters kicked off, went to the Storm, Storm kicked it back. Then a bit of a fumble from their captain who got a bit of a head knock after a tackle and he didn't play the ball right. So it was the, the Melbourne Storm scrum and they Storm ended up working it forward and then the captain ended up giving away a penalty in on the uh, 10 metre line right in front of the goals. And uh, that's, that's all, all she wrote and Cameron Smith knocked it through in the 84th minute in golden point time. So I would, I would encourage anyone who's sort of even in, enjoys the game of rugby league to, to even have a look at that last, even that last 10 minutes with the extra, extra time. It was a phenomenal game. The next thing I sort of wanted to get onto, and I, I did have a question prior to talking about this topic is that obviously what's Matt, what's your, what's your view on players and their voicing their issues to referees and umpires on field during a game? As an initial response, I think they can do a quick question and go, Hey, what's that for? Anything further that needs to be done by the captain. And that's it. That's the limit. You've got a captain for a reason. He, he is in a position where he's qualified to make the decision if he thinks it's right. But I have no issue with the, hey, come on, what was that for? And the umpire says, this is how I saw it. That's where it finishes. Yeah, and, that's, and that seems logical, plain and simple. In a very heated game between the Sea Eagles and the Newcastle, Newcastle Knights on the weekend, their front rower, um, Fanua Blake, has been suspended for two matches for yelling and calling and screaming obscenities at uh, referee Atkins. I don't know his full name, probably shouldn't have said it then. But I'm not going to go into detail what he did say. There is an article on nrl.com if you do want to check that out. I don't want to repeat what he said because it was... Uh, ridiculous. I don't understand what, why. I'm glad he's gotten two weeks. They don't usually do this. They've 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 drawn a line in the sand and actually given him weeks for for yelling at yelling and yelling at an umpire and demeaning him while he's trying to do his job to the best of his ability. And in a way, I'm I'm very happy that that he got the two weeks. But to be honest. I wouldn't have been disappointed with more. If you want to stamp it out of the game, you got you got to do. You got to. I'm glad they've done this, but I reckon next time it should be even even higher for the next player who does it because this the NRL don't want that in their game, and they've said they've got a zero, zero tolerance approach to this kind of stuff, and the the abuse of match officials is is not warranted. So. Bit annoying and a bit bit of a disappointing way to finish off the weekend with the uh, NRL news, but I just wanted to address that, and I hope that uh, most people feel the same view as me. Yeah, thanks, Jake. And we're going to finish up 
on, to be honest, the sporting highlight in my ideas for the weekend with Formula One. Formula One returned this weekend in Austria for the Austrian Grand Prix, and it was brilliant. Um, I actually think as any sport anywhere in the anywhere around the world, they they've been the most mature of any sports. Uh, everyone who is in the the bubble, when you're in the Grand Prix areas, you have to be wearing a face mask. It, to be honest, it, it seemed given that it's the biggest global circus in the world, to to be able to run that sport was brilliant. And there were a lot of big things. Um, one thing that did caught my eye was um, before the race, um, it had been arranged that the drivers had the opportunity to take a knee. Um, Jake, you're not a huge Formula One man, but a lot of this, um, the quality stuff in Formula One and Black Lives Matter stuff has been brought by in by Lewis Hamilton sort of saying there's not enough people of colour in the sport there's, and really trying to um, bring change, which is brilliant. Do you think Lewis Hamilton will have a problem for the six of the 20 drivers that didn't take a knee prior to the race? Most notably, two of those drivers were Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. Do you think he'll have a problem with them? Well, I don't know Lewis Hamilton too much, but I, I, I know that he's a very strong-willed person and I, in a way he will, he will have an issue with it, but I don't believe he'll, he'll voice it to, to them or, or to the public. I think he'll keep it internal and he might have a chat with them behind closed doors, but I don't think it, it'll affect him. He might have an issue with it. I don't think he'll let it affect him going forward, but I he will have, I reckon he would have had an issue with it for sure. Um, now, I'll move into the race because it was actually a really good race. Um, a lot of teams struggled given that they haven't had much opportunities to develop their car um, since testing. Um, nine cars retired, which is pretty dramatic. That was crazy. Um, <laughs> And it created an excitement. Max Verstappen went early. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, the Australian, went early as well. But I think I texted Jake just after the halfway mark. And I said, Jake, I know Formula One's not your big sport, but we're looking at an epic finish. And it was even more epic than what I thought. Um, it just, the race finally restarted. You had drivers on fresh faster tyres and they were going to drive through the field you'd think and then um, one of those cars was uh, Kimi Raikkonen and they didn't put a, uh, a wheel on correctly and a wheel nut came off and the wheel came off which brought in another safety car but um, Mercedes did really well to hold on to that win um, I think Lewis Hamilton and he has complained about his five second penalty that he got for hitting Alex Albon, while it, in my mind it was Lewis's fault, he did deserve the five-second penalty. I do think Alex Albon could have waited for a better moment to overtake it because he was so much faster with those tyres that he could have waited. I feel for Albon. He, in Brazil last year, he got hit by um, Lewis Hamilton again. 
which denied him his first podium and he got denied another podium, which I honestly think would have been a win, which would have been a great start for him. He would have been the first non-Mercedes or Ferrari driver to lead the championship since 2013. Um, but he just picked a bad moment. Um, Mercedes had mechanical troubles. It was brilliant. But to be honest, Lando Norris, seeing him on the podium was the highlight for me. He's, he's everything you want in an athlete. He's a lot like Daniel Ricciardo. He will actually be Daniel Ricciardo's teammate next year, which I think has got the potential to be the funniest driver pairing in the history of Formula One. Um, did a great job to get his podium. Uh, he got a fastest lap on the last last lap of the race to uh, beat Lewis Hamilton by the time penalty that Hamilton received. It was brilliant. Um, really good drive by Charles Leclerc, who had a car that was probably the fifth fastest car on the grid. So the t- he should have been ninth or 10th, and he finished second. Yes, opportunities came that worked this way, but it's a driver. He's a driver that we're very quickly learning. A bit like actually Daniel Ricciardo, he senses a sniff of an opportunity and he will take it. The other big moment for me was Sebastian Vettel. Many people were like, "What happens if Vettel has a good year this year and Ferrari begin to rue the mistake of moving him on?" This race. The one thing that I did come away knowing was that Ferrari had made the right decision to move him on. Um, he spun. He he just didn't look like a top-tier driver, someone that you expect from a, a four-time world champion. I think you your peaks start and finish at different times for different athletes. And I think his peaks finished. And that's that's a sad thing to say. Um, but I do think Vettel's time is done. Will he stay on at another team next year? Only time will tell. But you sort of get the feeling that he'll either be at Mercedes next year or Red Bull. He won't want to be at a team that's down the order. He's a four-time world champion. They don't go to small teams. So, And I don't see either of those teams doing it because Valtteri Bottas, Mercedes' number two driver, looked brilliant and won the race. So a very good race in Austria to start the season. They remain in Austria for another Grand Prix this weekend. And it's, I can't think of the region that they're in, but it's essentially this time called the Victorian Grand Prix. If there was a second race in a row at Albert Park, it's done by the province that they're in, which is a great way to do it. So can't wait. There's eight Formula One races in 10 weeks, so there's going to be a lot of very late Sunday nights for me coming up over the next few weeks, which should be great. But we've got more footy this weekend, more Formula One, more NRL. We've got um, the West Indies and England playing in the Test match. It's all happening, and we're looking forward to discussing it next week. But that will do us again for another episode on the Under Pressure podcast, and we'll see you on the next.